Matthew 16, 24 through 27. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to, me, to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. This is the word of the Lord for us. Well, good morning. What a joy it is to gather this morning to worship and fellowship and study the word of God. It was a little dreary and chilly this morning uh, with rain falling, and I thought, this is a good day for a bowl of chili, don't you think? And I like to put a little bit of cheese on the top of mine, or maybe a dollop of sour cream and some, some Fritos in there. But sometimes this, this time of year just calls for soup or chili or a day like this. You just need some comfort food, don't you? We all love comfort food. That bowl of chicken noodle soup when you're sick. Or I'll confess, at the end of a long day, at the end of a hard day, I just want a bowl of ice cream. <laughs> You know, that, that just helps. That just somehow helps at the end of a, a long and hard day or uh, a, a big plate of nachos to celebrate a big Buckeyes win <laughs> or a piece of strawberry rhubarb pie. And that works anytime, anytime piece of strawberry rhubarb pie. But I'm wondering, do you have a favorite or go to comfort food? What, what is it that you know you can go to? It always makes you feel good. It always soothes you or or maybe it reminds you of grandma's kitchen. Maybe it reminds you of a dish that your mother used to always make. You know, oftentimes those kind of foods that we turn to, those comfort foods, they're heavy foods. <laughs> they're, they're, they're really, uh, they're filled with sugar and fat and calorie and carbs. You know, the, the kind of foods who they just leave you in that sort of food coma state. Um, so comfort food, really, it can be anything that makes you feel good. We, we tend to think of comfort food as maybe a particular category of, you know, fried chicken or something, but it can be any kind of food that makes you feel good. Um, for those that are watching online this morning, leave a comment. Let us know what is your go-to comfort food. For those that are staying for your Sunday school hour, you can share that with your class. Favorite comfort food. I wonder if your favorite appears on the list of top comfort foods in the U.S., so let me share with you top comfort foods in America. I'll just give you the top five. Number five comfort food, according to a survey done of Americans, is pizza. Everybody loves pizza, right? In fact, just this week, Tuesday night, Jeremy Hostetler made homemade deep dish pizza for our elder board. <laughs> I'm guessing I'm going to get a few amens because we were, <laughs> we were devouring this pizza. It was fantastic. I think pizza is probably on most people's list. Of, that's just a go-to it's amazing. Uh, the only problem, of course, is it, that threat it poses to your health and fitness goals. <laughs> uh, but all, I wanted to share with you guys, I learned a trick recently. The easiest way to burn a thousand calories, it's this, it's this trick I discovered. The absolute easiest way to burn a thousand calories, you know, what it, you know what it is? You just leave the pizza in the oven. Burn a thousand calories. <laughs> okay, number four, top comfort foods in America. Cheap, inauthentic, basically non-Mexican tacos or, yeah, or burritos. Uh, and, and I love that this, this poll, this survey spe specified, the, this is not authentic Mexican food we're talking about. This is just like the cheap, inauthentic, like just, you know, the, the tacos. Um, 
guess, I guess there's no comfort in expensive tacos, the, the, the cheap, inexpensive ones. But either way, make sure that they've got plenty of cheese piled on the top, right? Um, yeah, like the new item at Taco Bell, which is the grilled cheese burrito. Like Rachel was, at, I had one. Rachel was asking, like, well, so what's the what's the uh, what's the deal? Like with the thing, I'm like, it's a burrito, okay, and then it's got cheese on the outside. Like, okay, but it just works. It's amazing. Yeah, okay. Top three comfort food: mac and cheese. Okay, is anyone else starting to notice a cheese theme here? A cheese theme seems to be pretty strong. Mac and cheese. Number two, mashed potatoes. I'm like, if there's anything we know in Ohio's Amish country, <laughs> it's this. We know mashed potatoes, and maybe you even like to put cheese on yours, keeping with our theme. Okay, so we have one more comfort food. Don't show it yet. Anybody want to take a guess on what, what was the number one comfort food, according to Americans? Okay, not ice cream. Good guess. It's a, it is a hot food. Not chicken. Some would say pasta. Maybe spaghetti and meatballs. It's a good guess. That's in the top 25, but not number one. What was it? A hot dog? Not on my top 25. <laughs> not a hot dog. Not steak. Not french fries. Not a hamburger. Not steak. Not ice cream. Remember the theme that we're going with. Number one food in America, comfort food, grilled cheese sandwich. The grilled cheese sandwich. I mean, who could argue with that? One of the most recent times Rachel and I went out to eat, I was like, I think I'll have the grilled cheese, and it did not disappoint. It was absolutely amazing. So why do I mention this? Well, because we talk about these things as comfort food, and that's really the, the theme, the topic that we're talking about this morning is, are we going to choose comfort or are we going to choose calling? You know, we, we often are pursuing comfort, whether it's comfort food or comfortable sneakers or a comfortable lazy boy chair in our living rooms. Um, comfort feels good, it smells good, it tastes good, it sounds good. But I want to warn us this morning that there can be a problem with comfort. That the pursuit of comfort is actually very dangerous. And I want to specifically point out the danger of pursuing comfort to the point that we forsake our calling. Pursuing comfort to the point where we don't live out God's plan and purpose for our lives because we've seen comfort as the goal when we re- need to rightly understand comfort as a gift. See, that's where comfort gets dangerous. If we see comfort as the goal and not as a gift. After all, Jesus didn't say, take up your remote <laughs> and binge watch with me. No. He said, take up your cross. And follow me. Take up your cross. An instrument of torture and death. Identify with my sufferings and my pain, Jesus says. Because he's calling us to something greater. So that's what we're going to talk about together this morning. Let me introduce myself. I'm John, and I'm just thrilled that you're with us this morning. And I'm praying that through our time together, your heart and your home grow stronger in the Lord. We've done a sermon series. We are in a sermon series called Love Where You Live. In fact, this is the third installment. This is the third and final sermon in this three-part series. And we're just being challenged over these several weeks to love the places where God has sent us in our workplace, in our neighborhood, in this region, to love this place and to realize we've been sent here to share the life-giving power of Jesus. 
And so I've just been dreaming and speculating, and I want to do that together corporately this morning. What would happen if we began to see our neighborhood as our mission field? What would happen if you viewed your school as the place where God put you and called you? That's your mission field. Will you love those people and serve them? How, How might God use us if every day we wake up and say, here I am, send me. What do you have for me today, Lord? I'm saying yes to you. I'm saying yes to your purpose in all of the places that I go. And what if our church, MCA, became the place where people find refuge, where people find a genuine welcome and embrace in a spiritual home? What if you became the neighbor that people could count on and trust and respect? What if your business became a place of hope? Why? Because you made it a place of prayer. What if your family truly discovered why God put you here and live that out? So the questions then begin to just unfold from that. Am I going to take the time to check in on my neighbor and to visit them? Am I going to take the time to bake some cookies and knock on their door and just say, just want to bless you and check in on you? Or offer to pray for a coworker or... Have you given out that star crunch yet to the kid at the lunch table? (laughs) Have you invited someone to attend church with you? Hey, come to MCA. Come, Come and worship with us and then we'll go out to brunch after or we'll connect and spend some time together. I do want to say next week we're starting a new sermon series. It's really a great opportunity. It's a great time to invite a friend. We're doing a sermon series on the book of Philippians, which is a book about joy. So maybe you know someone who needs some joy in their life, who needs some encouragement. If you know someone who needs some encouragement and who might benefit from getting into the word of God and seeing what the book of Philippians teaches us about living a life of joy, then invite them to come to be a part right here of what God is doing. So I'll remind us again of the words of our Lord Jesus in John chapter 20 and verse 21, where he says, as the father has sent me, so I am sending you. And that means we step out of our comfort zone. That means my life is not lived in pursuit of comfort, but in pursuit of the calling to be a person sent by Christ into the places where he has us. A few things come to mind as I, as I juxtapose comfort versus calling in our lives. Comfort would be I have a free evening. And with that time, I'm going to sit in front of my television. Did you know America's pastime has changed? It's no longer baseball. It's no longer pulling out the old mitt and tossing it around in the yard. America's pastime is watching television. So that's comfort. That's saying, I've got, I've got free time, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit down in my comfortable recliner and turn on the television and watch. Calling might look like something else, like checking in on a neighbor Visiting someone who's shut in. Spending time with someone who needs encouragement. Another example or thought that comes to mind is uh, comfort is when you're in the doctor's office or when you're at that event and you're sitting there and it's between innings or it's you're waiting for your name to be called. What do you do? You pull out your phone. So no one's going to approach you. No one's going to talk to you. It's like he's clearly like doing something on his own. She clearly has something right in front of her. That's comfort, is to say, I'm just going to pull out my phone and put it right here in front of my face. 
Calling, I think, is to put the phone in your pocket, go, you know, I can do whatever that is. I can do Wordle later. (laughs) And to strike up a conversation. And to look someone in the eye, look someone in the face, like a human connection. Tell a joke, make merry, make a friend. I think that's calling. That's, that's oftentimes what it looks like to say, Jesus, I want to be used by you in all the places I go. And that even includes a doctor's waiting room. Then I'm not going to just hunch in my comfortable little corner and keep to myself, but I'm actually going to embrace the idea of I'm sent to this place. And there are people here who probably need something as simple as a hello or a smile or a you look nice today. I think comfort is we've got a little bit of extra spending money. We've got a little bit of of cash, and so we buy more stuff. (laughs) I need more stuff. I want more stuff. I'm just going to get more for myself. Whereas calling might look like I'm going to support ministry. So a few weeks ago, we highlighted the H15 ministry in Millersburg that Andy Schaefer runs and the great need that is there financial needs to continue pressing on with the vision God has given them. I I was so pleased with the response of our church family, by the way. Um, We donated and and pledged, in addition to those things, uh, close to $20,000 to support H15 ministry. That's calling. (laughs) That's money that could have been spent on new sneakers and things for more stuff in our lives. And and I see that as an example of, are we going to choose comfort where we just buy stuff for ourselves? above and beyond our needs and our luxuries and the things we don't need? Are we going to use our money and our resources to say, we want this to be invested in kingdom work, in ministry where lives are changed, where teenagers in Millersburg, Ohio, come into a relationship with Jesus Christ? You know, I think there are examples like right here in our ministry at MCA of do, do we choose comfort or calling? We, we are so comfortable here. And again, comfort's not a bad thing. Comfort's a good thing. I'm thankful for air conditioning. <laughs> I'm thankful for these, these beautiful, comfortable gray chairs we sit on when we gather to study God's word. I'm not against those things, but I think even in the context of the, the life of a church, we have opportunities to choose calling over comfort. Do you choose the, the parking spot that's closest to the door when you get here? You know, for those of us that are able-bodied, younger why don't we choose the parking spots on the perimeter and say, I'm going to leave the closer spots for someone who's a little older or who has trouble walking or families who have small children who have to cart them across the parking lot. That, to me, that's a, an example of like, I'm going to live a called life, not a comfortable life. I, I'm glad to have a few minute walk across the parking lot and know that I've freed up parking spaces that are closer. That's a really simple example, but I think when you begin thinking that way, it not only it impacts the church parking lot on a Sunday morning, which is really not a giant deal. It impacts you Monday through Saturday in the places you go and the places you shop where you work and in your neighborhood. I think back to a time where we were doing two services here. And one of those services was a 9 a.m. service. (laughs) And you all know, and I don't even need to say, that that was the service where all of us basically wanted to be. And you could take a look around the room right now if you want just to see there aren't very many empty seats in here. I think we as a church should probably pray about and consider, do we offer an additional service so that we free up seats and space for guests? Um, I know of at least, I think at least two Sundays, um, recently, fairly recently, this calendar year, where we've been 400 plus in our worship attendance. And what do we have, 425 chairs in here? 
So if indeed we reach that point and we say, hey, we're going to offer an additional worship service, to me, comfort is 9 a.m. is my service and I'm not moving from that service. Whereas calling might be, I'll adjust my Sunday morning if that means I free up a seat for a guest to come, for someone to come into this house of worship and hear the good news of Jesus. I'm stepping on some toes. <laughs> and I'm not, trying to be, I'm not trying to make this churchy. I'm not trying to make this about like how we function here and how I want to make us work here. What I'm saying is if, if we begin to function this way in the family of Christ, then I think this impacts the way we work in the workplace and marketplace as well. Like, let's get it right here, and then let's extend that in other places. So, comfort is saying, 9 a.m. is my service, and I'm not budging from it. Because that's what I want, that's what my preference is. Could we move beyond that to the place that says, it's not about my preferences, it's about the work of Christ. And if me coming to a service at a different time means someone else hears the gospel and experiences life change, so be it. I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to sacrifice comfort. Why? For the calling that Christ has on us. I think the same can be true in our core groups. Do we say, this is my core group, and I'm staying with it, and I'm not leaving it, and I'm not changing? Or do we say, maybe we need to launch a new core group and include some new people. Look, look for a few people to invite into that. Why? Because we want to have kingdom impact. Because it's not about comfort. It's about calling. Do we have a vision to include other people in our ministry? Or are we ready to just bar the door? We're all here. Let's, let's bar the doors. I think when we begin to view life as being sent by Christ, it impacts the local church. It impacts you in your living room. It impacts you in your classrooms at school and on the sports field and in all of the places you go. So again, comfort is not the enemy. Comfort is a good thing. Burritos that have grilled cheese on the outside is amazing. Sometimes you need that and you're thankful for that. Indoor plumbing is good, right? These things are, these things are good. It's just that comfort becomes a problem when we see it as the goal and not as a gift. So following Jesus, my friends, following Jesus is about choosing to step out of our comfort zone and to step into our calling. There is a story, a passage in the Old Testament that we're going to go to this morning. It's in the book of Esther and chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and, and open it up. Uh, don't have time this morning to go through all of Esther's story. Uh, we did a whole sermon series in the book of Esther a while back. I can refer you to go back and listen to those sermons. But there's this story in the Old Testament book of Esther about this woman, and she stepped out of her comfort zone and into her calling. It's like a rags-to-riches type of story where this young woman, Esther, she was a Jewish exile— and uh, by, by God's grace and sovereignty, she was actually chosen to be queen of the Persian Empire. Now, the king issues an edict to destroy all of the Jews. <laughs> you go, well, it's like a major twist in her Cinderella story. Um, and so as word spreads about this edict to destroy all the Jews on a certain day, as you might expect, a whole lot of people start to panic. The, the Jewish people, in fact, what they did was they went out into the public places, and this was a cultural thing for them, weeping and wailing, public demonstrations of lament, grief, and sorrow. So the, the people who were Jewish were going into the public squares, and they were weeping and they were wailing, and they were doing so just outside of the palace. So Esther, who is now chosen as queen, she has a cousin who's named Mordecai, and he's right there with them. 
and, and the king, and then, of course, there's this other evil character, Haman, in the character, who's his advisor. But neither the king nor Haman, they don't realize that there's a Jew right there in the palace with them, meaning Queen Esther. They don't realize that that's her ancestry or background. So what happens is Esther, of course, hears, along with everyone else, the weeping and the wailing of her people. She wants to know like exactly what's going on. She sends a servant out who finds Mordecai. And then Mordecai communicates, really, it's via the servant, but Mordecai and Esther then communicate back and forth. And so he explains the situation to Esther, and Mordecai pleads with Esther, would you go to the king and ask him to reverse this? In other words, go and ask for mercy on behalf of our people. Now, some of us might be thinking, well, what's the big deal there? Like, if she's the queen, she's married to the king, like, this is her husband, uh, you know, doesn't she have some pretty strong influence and sway, can't she just tell him, hey, you're not going to do this? Like, can't she just talk to him, you know, simple conversation, hey, that edict, not going to work kind of thing. That's, a, that's perfectly reasonable given kind of our, our cultural bindings or even, um, you know, we know something about the Queen of England who just passed away recently. You know, th- this is not a Queen Elizabeth II kind of situation. She was revered and adored and respected. Um, Esther's not in that same kind of situation. For their context in the Persian Empire, it was all about the king. <laughs> he is the one in charge. He is the one who rules. He simply chooses who his queen will be. And if she doesn't suit him or please him, well, then off she goes and in comes the next one. And so the, the law at that time, actually, the king is so revered, so really worshipped, that if you were to enter into his presence without being invited, it was punishable by death. So Esther, even as queen, does not have the ability to just say, hey, hubby, let's have a convo. Like, if she were to go in before him and she's not been invited, she very may well be executed or banished. And the queen before her, of course, had, had, mess, you know, had, had made a choice that you know, displeased the king and he got rid of her. So it, there's, no, there's no reason to believe it wouldn't be any different with Esther. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the situation that we find ourselves in. in in this uh, book of Esther. And so she's really in a tough spot here with the request coming from her cousin to put a stop to this, to go before the king uninvited and make this bold request. And so reading this with our imagination, I think it's safe for us to, to say, okay, if you're Esther and you're in this situation, you're probably tempted to play it safe. You're probably tempted to say, hey, I've arrived. I am the queen of Persia, and I live in the palace, and I live in the lap of luxury. She had servants and anything she wanted at her disposal, and no one seems to even know that she's a Jew. So if I'm Esther, I'm probably tempted to say, let's just keep this whole thing hush-hush, and and I might um, avoid this whole genocide thing that's about to go down for my people. And so Esther's first response to Mordecai actually kind of falls in line with that thinking. It's not exactly heroic. If you have your Bible with you, Esther chapter 4, she sends a message to remind Mordecai that if she goes before the king on behalf of her people, she's risking her own life. And Mordecai responds back to her, not wanting to let her off very easily. We're going to pick it up in verse 13, where Mordecai then responds to Esther. And it's really kind of the the turning point in this amazing story where she says, I've got comfort or I've got a calling. 
which one will I choose? Esther chapter 4, starting in verse 13, the message from Mordecai to Esther. He says, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. It's like if she plays it safe, if she chooses her own personal comfort, God's going to use someone else. God's not going to be wringing his hand saying, oh dear, oh my, I guess I'm not going to accomplish my will and my plan and my purpose. I guess my mission won't be fulfilled. Mordecai helps her see here. If it's not you, it's going to be someone else because God's will is going to be done. Because God's going to deliver his people. Because God is faithful to save. And so he helps to orient her to this way of thinking that says, boy, if I don't do it, I'm missing out. Because God's going to do it one way or another. The Lord is going to do something in this situation. Esther, if she does nothing, is going to miss out on the very purpose that God placed her in the palace. The very reason that he sent her to be queen of Persia. So is she going to play it safe? Is she going to choose comfort? Is she just want to hide in the palace? Or will she courageously step forward into the calling for which she was created? So we're in Esther chapter 4, next verses 15. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. So it begins with, okay, God, you're in charge of this whole thing. (laughs) We're going to fast. We're going to pray. I'm going to rally together others in my community who will stand with me, who will stand in the gap, who will intercede. And we're just going to put this all back on God. Okay, God, we're going to seek you. We're going to be desperate for you to move in this situation. And then Esther says, when this is done, meaning the time of fasting and prayer, when this is done, I will go to the king. Even though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. She chooses calling to the the point of risking death. I will go to the king. She boldly declares this to her cousin Mordecai. We're going to fast and seek the Lord. We're going to rally together a tribe and a band of people who will stand with me. And then I'm going to do it. I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and I'm going to step into my calling. I I would put it this way, especially in the context of these three weeks. Esther chose to love where she lived. The, The sounds of weeping and wailing that were coming through her windows, they didn't fall on deaf ears. She said, I'm going to do something about it. And I don't know how this is going to turn out. I might perish. I might end up like Vashti, my predecessor. But I will go to the king. And so Esther goes to the king. In fact, She goes not once, she goes twice. (laughs) She was wise about how she did it. I think in those three days of, of prayer and fasting and seeking God's heart, God revealed to her his wisdom on how you approach this man who who is who is the most powerful person in all the land. He he I think God reveals to her, here's how here's how you go about it strategically. But she, she goes to him, and she has the prayer support of all these people, and here's what happens. The king extends his favor. He relents from the edict 
that was to exterminate all of the Jewish people. The entire nation is saved. God brings deliverance to his people in dramatic fashion. And don't be confused about this. God was going to deliver his people one way or another. This was not, well, if Esther hadn't done this, I mean, we don't know what would have happened, but God was going to bring deliverance to his people. He had this amazing opportunity for Esther and she stepped into it and salvation came to the people of God because she said, I'm not going to just choose comfort. I'm going to choose my calling. I'm going to use my place of privilege and power, and I'm going to rescue those who don't have any privilege or power. So listen, friends, as followers of Jesus, he calls us to do the exact same thing. And following Jesus means taking risks. In fact, if you're a note taker this morning, that's a a point. Following Jesus means taking risks. Esther could have been killed. She risked her life. When we step out of our comfort zone, we're probably not risking our neck like she was. But we're still taking risks. If you ask someone if you can pray for them, you're taking a risk because they might reject you and say, no, I don't want you to pray for me. You're taking a risk. If God calls you to provide foster care, you're risking heartache if and when those children go back to their home. Are we willing to take risks for Christ? Are we willing to risk our reputation our popularity. For a young person, maybe you've met that really nice guy or gal and you make cow eyes at each other and you're kind of sweet on each other. But that guy or gal is not a Christian believer. They don't have a relationship with God through Christ. And you know. (laughs) And you know that you know that you know That it's not going to honor God for you to be in relationship with that person who's not a fellow believer. And you know that to honor God, you're going to end that relationship. What are you going to do? That's risky. That's risky to end that relationship. Because that's saying, okay, God, I trust that you've got someone else who's coming in and someone else who I don't see. That's risky. To trust that God has someone else for you. But here's the good news. Whatever the risk. It's worth it. Whatever the risk. You've got so much more to lose. Here's another way of putting it. You've got so much more to lose. By not walking in obedience to Christ. So you want to talk about risks. Yeah let's talk about the risk of disobeying. Let's talk about the risk of, I'm going to choose disobedience and dishonor to my God. That's the ultimate risk. (laughs) Because that's saying, I want control of my own life. I'm not going to submit my life to the authority of Christ. I want to be the person in charge. You don't want to be in charge of your life. You need a savior. So we choose to walk by faith, not by sight. We choose to honor the Lord even when that means risks. We choose calling over comfort. And listen, following Jesus is costly. It means taking risks, but it also means forsaking all other things. Like like Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. He makes that very clear. You can't serve two. 
So when you start serving Christ, then you don't have time for, you don't have affection for the other things, the old things. And I I love these stories of Jesus calling the first disciples. In fact, Wednesday night in Mark's Bible study on the Gospel of Mark, we, we looked at those those stories of Jesus calling the, the first disciples. And you just see these guys leaving everything to follow Jesus. Peter giving up, I, I, we could say, maybe the comfort of career. I'm going I'm to walk away from my vocation. I'm choosing the calling of Jesus. He left his nets in his fishing boat. We could say for James and John, they gave up the comfort of home to pursue the calling of Christ. They left their father Zebedee in the family business. Matthew, we know, gave up the comfort of wealth. He was a tax collector. He made a lot of money. But he realized that Jesus was worth even more. And so he left the comfort of wealth to step into the calling of Christ. So following Jesus, it's really never... I mean, so we're talking about the very first people called to follow him 2,000 years ago. And here we are today. It's never been about comfort. Following Jesus has has always been about choosing things that are costly. Like this is why Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 16, 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Not, I want to keep everything else in my life and I'm the ruler of my life and I've got a firm, secure grasp on all the things I want and I'm going to sprinkle Jesus into that. He goes, you want to be my disciple? Great, I'm calling you. I want you to follow me. But here's the thing. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to pick up your cross. It's no longer about comfort. It's about the calling. And aren't you grateful that Jesus is the ultimate example of this? Like, aren't you thankful that he paid the cost? That he took up his cross as he calls us to do. He never calls us to do things that he himself didn't do or wasn't willing to do. So aren't you thankful that Jesus took up his cross? That he paid the ultimate price for our salvation. That he himself took the punishment that you and I deserve. That he offers eternal life for everyone who trusts in him. So then you go, well, yeah, of course I'm willing to leave behind everything else. Jesus gave everything so that I could be with him for eternity. So, of course, I'm willing to leave behind a fishing boat, a boyfriend, worldly wealth, anything because of Christ, because of the greatness, the all-surpassing worth, Paul says in Philippians 3, of knowing Christ. And so, of course, it's our mission then, and we eagerly want to live out And demonstrate and share the life-giving power of Jesus with the world. Because what we have found, what we have known, the transformation that God has done in us, we want to see in others. We want to give him the, the glory and the honor for that. So again, as we think about Esther and her amazing story, she risked her life to save her people. Lord, Jesus, uh, as I said, Jesus is the ultimate example. He, he gave up his life to serve every person. And so I want us to hear this morning him calling us to serve him, to follow him, to step out of our comfort zone, into our calling, to reach another one with the good news. You know, maybe there are people in your life, in your sphere of influence, who 
they're far from God. They're not walking in this abundant life, this fruitful life, this fulfilled life in Christ. They need hope. They need help. They need encouragement. They need Jesus. So could it be that those people in your life, God is sending you to them to speak the good news, to come alongside them and help bear burdens, to reach them with the truth of Jesus, to to step out of your comfort zone and into your calling. And maybe that looks like just sharing with them the difference that Christ has made in your own life. Or maybe there's someone that has a need and you know of their need and you know you have the resources to meet that need. But you've allowed the instability of our economy or your concerns for your own comfort to keep you from stepping in, serving, helping, living out that calling, meeting that need. Can I challenge you today? Don't get stuck in the comfort of inaction. In the middle of all those maybes and what ifs and I might, I want you to hear one voice and I want you to hear it loud and clear and it's the voice of Jesus and it's Jesus saying, as the Father sent me in humility, sacrificially, with radical agape love, not concerned with my own ego, self, comfort. As the Father sent me, Jesus says, so I am sending you. Jesus has sent us to love the places where we live. Who knows? But that you have come to your place and position for such a time as this. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our God, how grateful and blessed and humbled we are to be your people. Radically saved by your grace, known by you, pursued because of the work you've done in our lives. Saved and redeemed and transformed. How thankful we are, Lord. And this morning, I ask, oh God, that you would help us to not stay in that place of comfort and enjoyment and luxury, but to see another one who needs hope and truth. To to hear you, Christ, calling us as people sent by you into our neighborhood and school and workplace. That you would use us, oh God, to share the life-giving power of Jesus with the world. So church family, our prayer team is going to be available in the front this morning. You are invited to come to bear your burdens alongside those of us who are seeking the face of Christ, or, or maybe you want prayer for effectiveness in your workplace and neighborhood, but you're invited to come. We would love to pray with you and for you and minister to you this morning. And so before the Lord God Almighty, who is powerful, who's the God of the universe, who created it all, who sustains it all, and yet who knows the intimate details of our lives, oh God, we give you thanks for who you are and for what you're doing. Would you continue the work you've begun in us and transform us to be a people living on mission for you and loving the place we live? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.